1: Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. Uh, Here's a bonus episode for you, something brand new. It's the first Writer's Routine Roundtable, where we get a few authors together to chat amongst themselves uh, about how they do things. You see, I'm hoping that authors will be able to ask each other questions that perhaps I'm unable to do, you know, because I've never published a book. Writers probably have, though, so I'm thinking they might know a bit more about the process that should unpack some secrets for us. Now, in this episode, we've got three crime writers on, and they've all worked for the police force at some point, too. Um, Marilyn Davis joins us. She published her debut Carla Brown and Nell Jackson thriller, When I Lost You, last year. The second, If I Fall, is out next year. Uh, Also, Rebecca Bradley's on. She's published quite a few novels, I think around eight. Uh, Mostly D.I. Hannah Robbins books. Uh, There are a few standalones in there as well. Her newest book is A Deeper Song. It was out earlier on this year. Uh, Also, we've got Neil Lancaster on the show. He shared his proper routine with us earlier on this year. Uh, He's published two Tom Novak thrillers. A third is out shortly, and he's got other ideas in the pipeline as well. Uh, Now we talk about the editing process, how they get that very first idea, and how working in the police set them up for a second career, at writing all about crime and what they knew. Uh, And we talk about the difference in planning for series and for standalone books. Now, this was all recorded separately at home. I've wanted to do it for a while, but finally, with lockdown, uh, it's been quite easy to get people in the same place virtually. Uh, But it does mean you may need to forgive some slightly differing audio quality. Much of it is my fault. Uh, Push through with that, though. Uh, I promise it's worth it. Uh, With the very first Writer's Routine Roundtable, and I started off asking Marilyn how lockdown had affected her writing.
2: Um, I've given up completely and what I'm doing is sort of trying to boost, I'm trying to trick myself into um, thinking about a new book um, by watching a lot of Netflix, which isn't an excuse, it is actually, I like to watch the films and like unpick the plots and the character developments and the arcs and the twists um, and that gives me ideas and I sort of trick myself into into thinking about what I would use, Um, but no, no, no actual words as yet.
3: Neil, how are you getting on? Um... Actually, paradoxically against that, I'm working quite hard at the moment, because um, as as you remember, Dan, when I came to see you, I was literally delivering a manuscript. That was at the beginning of March to my uh, publisher, and that went through, shall we say, a tricky developmental edit I, I, I whinged to to Rebecca quite a bit about this. Actually, you might remember Rebecca, but I went into a bit of a rant rant about it, which was completely completely not deserved. The actual everything, all the points they made were actually valid. So it, it took me a good while to sort that out. So that sort of was like forced labour. I had to do it. I didn't have to. I didn't have to think too hard. I had to just work hard at it. So it's not like being creative. It was fixing problems, but. I got to that stage. I've delivered it. I said, right, we're happy with that now. We're going to go through into copy edit. Now, as I've said before, and again, Dan, I did say this to you, that I had this new project bubbling about. I started working on that, and the ideas have started flowing on that. And I think, I mean, this week I've written must be 15,000 words. So I've been very, very productive recently because uh, I've got a bit of a fresh impetus on that. So, yeah, I'm I'm working quite hard homeschooling, you know, bites into that, as I'm sure uh, other people might experience, but um, I'm doing okay, yeah.
1: Cue the silent, furious hatred from the rest of the authors on this chat.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> sorry, yeah.
1: so, sorry, Marilyn, um, have a go at this 15,000 word a week author for me.
2: Yeah, no, well, I just w- want to leave the group now, but um, I was just thinking actually, Neil, Neil about what you said about um, how it's work when you're trying to fix problems and it's not creative, and I wondered if your police background, the same with you, Rebecca, whether that's helped in the sense of it's just that plodding on that you, you know there's going to be an end at some point but you've just got to go through it thoroughly. And I wondered if that helped with your writing at all?
3: I think a little bit. Um maybe it's you know, I am sort of liking it to I've done a big report and I'm sending it now off to the CPS and they've come back to me and said, Yeah, that's fine, but you need to do this, 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 this and this and you think, right, okay, crack on. And you you know, you might have to switch your creative head on a bit because it may may well be then that you've got to, um, you know, think, right, OK, I need to come up with another scene for this or I didn't really like the ending. I've got to add something to that. So, yeah, you have to switch the creative part on. But it's more like writing, you know, to a script rather than, than literally plucking ideas out of nowhere. Well, Neil, do
1: you mind if I, with, without pushing you too hard on this, without you, you don't need to say anything you don't want to, but. Uh, hint at the, the the changes that your publishers did want you to make when you, when you, when you had got back home from, from my flat a few months
3: ago what, what, were you, what, were, what was quite tricky about it poked loads of plot holes in that I needed to plug and they, again I accept I mean I'm an impetuous sort of guy who blows hot and cold then I calm down and think oh well they're, they're probably right and, um, you know, I just cracked on. But they, I mean, the ending needed need to be, it was a little bit anticlimactic, um, which was a fair point. So I needed to up that. So I needed to think of something completely new to add in. Um, there were other things where they didn't think the dialogue was snappy enough. And it, it, that's a funny one. That's where someone is just saying, this page here, it's just not good enough. Make it better. Rather than specifically do this, it's just be better. So so it was, I mean, it's a a mix of literally just fix these nuts and bolts, you know, you need to maybe combine some chapters, maybe do this, that and the other, or, I mean, I had to come come up with a completely new start, because the first start I did, when I look back on it, again, they were right, it was full of exposition. And I needed to change it totally and come up with a completely different start. I also needed to come up with a completely different ending. and. I've got to be honest it's a much better book as a result of all those changes so you know I needed to just get over myself basically.
2: I think that's what um sorry to come in but um that's the thing that I found amazing working on with an editor is that I think loads of people think that you you told what to write with an editor that they come in and they go right this page on three sentences down is really bad you need to do this instead and they don't they just go it's much more broad strokes and um And that's what I love is that when they give you the broad strokes and you think, actually, now I have to be a little bit creative about how I address that and how I change it. Um, so that's, I think it's amazing working with an editor, but a lot of people I think don't realize that it, they don't tell you what to do. They just say, this isn't working Sort it out.
1: Rebecca, how did you deal with that? So when you're told by, I mean, uh, I think you've published more books than Marilyn and Neil, uh, so what, what if not that it's competition, please. What, how, do? how do you kind of deal with it, Rebecca, when you, an editor says to you, look, this, this isn't good enough. You need to change a couple of pages. What, what do you do?
4: I prefer the editing process than the first draft process, to be honest, because the editing, you've got scaffolding there, you've got something to work with, whereas the first draft, all you've got is the blank page staring at you. Um, And, yeah, editing is just, you've got somebody, like Marilyn says, you've got the broad strokes of somebody saying, look, this first section needs work, and then you've got to work out What they mean by that and how to fix it, but you do have ideas because the whole book is there in front of you. Have
1: you got a process? Have you got a process now? Sorry, Rebecca. Have you got a process now of where you start when you are trying to find that out? When you are working that out,
4: I think it's different with each book. Sometimes you can fix the small things first if they're not going to have an impact on the whole story, because sometimes if you fix something it can impact the whole story and you have to go through the whole book. Um, but what I found with the last one is I had to rebuild the book from the very first page onwards. So I copy and pasted every chapter one at a time over to a new document, edited that chapter, wrote new chapters in as I came to them and just built it up from the ground up again. Um and I just love editing. It's it's so much easier than writing the, the first draft.
2: I agree hugely with that, Rebecca. I love I love the editing process, and um, I think there was someone that once said that um, if you, it's like building a house, and like you you're you either have to knock down a whole room and build an extension, or you're doing these sort of interior design. And I like both those stages that you get in the editing process.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I like it as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my,
4: no I don't think you do you know, I think
3: my slightly stroppy nature around things like this kicks in and I'm mortally offended for just for a while and <laughs> I mean I, I joke about it with my publishers now and I, t- I send them uh, we got a little whatsapp group and I I send them you know gifs of me threatening to kill them and everything and they always, we always have that difficult <laughs> phone call where they say are you talking to us and I say yeah well just about and um but again once once i settle down look at it with a dispassionate eye you sort of say well it might, might actually make it a bit better if i do that i then just do
2: it have you ever had a time? have you ever had to say to them and really put your foot down and go i because i've always agreed with everything that my editors would come back with
3: no i i completely refused a, f- a few things um because i just wasn't willing to that they suggested that um I, I mean i know rebecca you've definitely read um my books but um they wanted to kill Tom Novak's mother, uh, stepmother, um, not stepmother, what I'm talking about, adoptive mother. They said, why don't they just like, kill her? I said, oh, no, no, not <laughs> happening. So I really put my foot down around that. I just wasn't having it because it would change everything. And I said, how does he come back from that? So, yeah, I have. There have been a number of things I've just said, I'm not changing that. And so far, I've got away with it. Two questions there.
1: Number one, Neil, why do you think they're doing that? What, uh, what, what, are, what is a publisher maybe seeing in your general story arc, the plot going forward, that thinks, hang on, Tom's adoptive mother needs to die for this to generate some more excitement?
3: What's happening there? I think they wanted to raise the stakes. Um, now, I mean, we came up with a compromise. So, um, you know, rather than being killed, she got a finger calf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was still quite a bad outcome for her, but I, I, I took the point that there needed to be more at stake. These guys needed to be worse. They needed to be nastier. And, but, I fez, but my view was if I kill her, I can never come back from that. And I, I wanted this to move forward in future books, to so this, you know, this relationship that they have. So, I mean, they were looking at it purely, I think, from the point of view of that one book. I was looking about future books where I, I wanted this to be part of his, his, his background and his story because his backstory is so complicated. So I, I wanted him to have this base where he feels, you know, comfortable. And if his mother's been killed, it's a ruin that for him. He'd go nuts.
2: Do um, do either of you, Neil or Rebecca, because do you ever think about the future books, like when you're developing the character and relationships? So I'm, I think I don't really think about that. And it just sort of organically happens. But I wondered if either of you plot for that for the next book in terms
4: of I want that to happen. So this has to happen now. I do have an eye on, on the future for some some things. Um the book that I'm currently writing, book seven in my series, um I've had an eye on this book for since about book two, to be honest. Um something's happening to her that um I've been waiting for. So yeah, but not all of it, no.
1: Rebecca, why are you uh, without the pun? Why are you pulling the trigger on it now? Why have you waited so many books uh, to finally make this happen? W- what's been going on a-, a long time, and now it's right?
4: Because I wanted it to be a, a gradual event, rather than something that you just write on the page and say, "Right, this is happening now." It want I wanted it to feel more natural um, of a an event and. Um, events that happened in the last book have meant that we're at that point where this can happen to the character.
1: Neil, what about you? So you, you have some idea of what's happening in the future because you didn't want uh, Tom's mum to die. How how much of an idea do you have going forward of, of how many books maybe there'll be, what, what Tom is going to do along the way?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh... It, it, this is, again, another tricky one because I'm actually writing something completely different at the moment as well. Not not a Tom Novak book at all. But I'd like to go back to Novak in the future. But to me, the arc that I'm in in the books I'm looking towards is the development of him as a person, as opposed to future plots or future things that might happen to him. Um, so it, to me, it's about how he develops as a, as a person, um, you know, because he has a bit of a problem with empathy because of his upbringing and I want there to be some type of development in that whereas his sense of empathy perhaps starts to develop because of the relationships he has so it's about planting some seeds with the relationships he's building with some of the other key characters in the book where in the future this might help him this might help him and his personal development so it's not about the stories it's about the character so they're the sort of seeds I like to perhaps sow um, as a...
2: I think that's exactly exactly it, isn't it? I think it's all it's always about the character, really, um, in books. And I think planting those seeds, like the backstory of my two characters, is very much something that I want to unpick in the future because of that. Exactly what Neil says is like developing who they are and for them to grow through that. Um, and I think most of our books are all about character, aren't they? Really, more
4: than the plot sort of hangs off them, really.
3: Yeah, very much so for me.
4: So, do you know Marilyn? any of what's going to happen to your characters? Um, I know
2: that well I'm a bit in love with my DCI the, um, so I'm sort of wanting my crime analyst to maybe have something to do with that in terms of just but, but, but a lot of my book one of the aspects of my book is very much about the relationship between the crime analyst who's a civilian and the police and how that sort of plays out because she's one of them but she's not actually one of them and how that dynamic works and so I'm quite interested to explore that side of their relationship because he's quite pro analyst, whereas her, her DS is quite sort of hands off with her a bit. And it's to, to sort of break down those, those sort of interpersonal things that are going on between the two. So I know that I want that to happen, but um, not other than that. No, not really.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I've got something similar is that um, my protagonist, Tom has this sort of sidekick that he very often works with, who is a, a computer hacker, a German computer hacker who works for the CIA. Now there's always hints of slight flirtation with them, but he's uncomfortable with it. Now the amount of emails I've had of people saying, oh, you've got to get them together. And I'm, but isn't that a bit cliched? Does it have to be like that? And part of me is really, a, I don't want to write sex scenes. That makes me want to, the thought of that makes me cringe. It makes me want to crawl into a dustbin Writing a sex scene, but I'm just not going to do it. But everyone says, and my sister said to me, and I've had emails people saying, Oh man, you, you've got to get Tom and Pet together. And I'm thinking, I don't know, because that then starts to feel like Jack Reacher, where he goes up, meets with them, gets with the girl, and walks off. And I thought, That's just not who he is. And I don't want, I want, you know, because Pet is a strong female character. I love writing her, she's terrific. And do I want her to be the girl who just falls in, in love and in bed with the hero? And I I don't know that I do.
2: I had, it's interesting, actually, because I had a reader say to me, um, I was saying, I said about this, that I really like the idea of them getting together. And he was mortified by it because he really didn't want um, my DCI, Bremer, to have to, to be focusing and championing Carla but just because he wants to get into bed with her. And he said that he would hate the idea of them getting together. So that's actually a really good point that sort of goes along with what you're saying.
1: Can I quickly jump in there? and? It's it's quite a delicate question, I'd imagine, for writers who want to sell books to answer. Um, But how much are you writing something to to deliberately try and second-guess a reader? Uh, You you don't at all want your plot to be predictable. And almost, if a reader wants you to do something, you might take a left turn there because you desperately want it to be all your original thought. How much of that kind of comes into it, Rebecca?
4: I think you've got to be really careful to write for your readers because there's one um infamous case of this where Patricia Cornwell killed a really main character. Um was it Ben Benton was his name? Um Scarpetta's husband and she had such a backlash she brought him back. Um so How did she do that? I I can't remember. I read it. I was reading again. <laughs> I was reading the books at that point. And she she had such a backlash from the readers. She listened to the readers and she brought him back. I don't think they'd ever found his body. So they managed to bring him back. Or even if they oh. had found his body, they'd misidentified him or something. Um, and I, I it just didn't feel right after that because she'd listened to them and it just made everything she'd written about his death feel wrong. So I think you've got to be careful about listening to readers and what they want because I don't think they know what they want. They're just enjoying the series and what you give them. Um, and I think you yeah, know I agree with that. that's, that's best to mostly, um, but I don't think you can, to the degree that she did it and she actually brought a character back from the dead, I don't think you can follow what you're asked to follow by readers. I think you
3: have to be very careful. You you know, I, I think firstly, you need to write for yourself. You've got to be passionate about the project. And I think I think to try and write to please readers that you don't know, and there's a million of them, hopefully. Anyway, it'd be lovely if they were going to um be, I think to write for a reader is hard. I think I have to write to write a book that I would want to read. And you've got to be so careful with a character that may be popular. It was Lynn Anderson, who is a, a terrific author, and she's a good friend of mine now. And she, when I first sort of saw her speak, she said, one bit of advice I got is if you're going to be killing a popular character, be ready for the fallout because people won't like it. Mm. That and don't kill a dog. Yeah. Never kill a dog.
2: Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> yeah, that. Don't kill a dog. <laughs> I do think, though, that even though we don't, I don't think it's, I think you're right both of you about not writing to to a reader for what they want to to see as a plot development or whatever. But I don't I do know about you two, but whenever I'm writing, I will, not necessarily the first draft as much, but no, indeed the first draft, I always think, what will the reader be thinking now? So at each page, I think to myself, where do I want the reader to be? What do I want them to be thinking? So to me, I wouldn't write for the reader in terms of what they want me to write, but I certainly always keep them
4: at the forefront when I am writing, does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're more thinking of what kind of emotions do you want the reader to be feeling?
2: Yeah, and, and also what sort of, where what do I want them to be thinking? Do I want them to be suspecting this person at this page? Or do I want to wait for 10 more pages until they suspect this person? Yeah. So I, I, I that's sort
4: of how I write. Yeah, you don't actually want them to dictate what events are happening, but you want yeah. to be able to direct them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Very quickly, before we get back to it with the round table, uh, just a little correction on last Friday's episode. Do you remember we were sponsored by the fantastic brand new book, Agatha, by Anne Catherine Bowman. You need to pick it up. It's brilliant. It's well worth. It's an absolute literary phenomenon. The thing is, in the episode... I only said her first two names. Got a little bit confused. Um, You should have found it anyway with the search. Uh, But it's Agatha by Anne Catherine Bowman. Look it up online. I promise it's worth it. It's an absolute joyous tale of loneliness. You're thinking, is it possible to have such a thing? But this really pulls it off. Agatha by Anne Catherine Bowman. And remember, you can have your book sponsoring the show just like that. If if you've bought out a new novel recently and its release maybe has been slightly, utterly ruined by lockdown. uh, Why why not sponsor the show for an episode? Because I'll give it a big old passionate plug. Your book uh, can pretty much take over an episode of Writer's Routine. To do that, you need to get involved at Patreon. Now, the good thing is... Because everyone who listens to the show, almost by definition, has an interest in the craft and the process of writing. I know that all the books that we get sponsored by, and I will push to you, um, will be worth it. I'm not just doing it for the sake of it, because these stories will have been worked so hard over. And they deserve to be out there, they deserve to be read, and they deserve to be shared... Amongst the writing community that we've got going on, you can find out more about that by the way over at Patreon.com forward slash Writers Routine. You can support us over there any way that you like, really. You don't have to sponsor a book if you've not got one out. Maybe you just want to thank us for over a hundred episodes of tips from some of the best authors. If you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you write, you can show us your appreciation and get a little bit of merch for doing it as well over at Patreon.com forward slash Writers Routine. Doesn't have to be a lot. I really do promise. Just a dollar or so a month goes an incredibly long way. Right, let's get back to it then with our first ever writer's routine roundtable. We've got Marilyn Davis, Rebecca Bradley and Neil Lancaster on the show this time all talking about how they get stuff done. Now we pick things up chatting about how you pick things up uh, when writing the second book of a series you've put so much work into the first you've given everything to your character you've kind of told their story it's finally out there and, and now you need to pick up the pen and go again and find out more about your character how does that work how do writers cope with that Marilyn starts us off
2: initially I hated every single minute of it and I probably spent about three months Hating every single word I wrote and every single time I sat down at my desk, I wanted to just give up. And I, and I think it was, it was a really weird process because I'd just been published and that was everything I'd been working for. And that's all I wanted in in my life. That was my dream. And then it happened and it was all a bit of an anticlimax, sort of really. And I thought, and I, and I went through this awful existential, like, do I want to be a writer? Is this what I want? And it really stopped me writing. And also, um, I'd written a really detailed synopsis, um, as a sort of pitch for the second book. And, and I found that just sucked all the creativity out of it. And I felt like I'd already written it, but just in three pages instead of 400. Um, so I just then ditched everything I would thought of. And I just started writing again about a book I wanted and, and letting it take me where it wanted to go rather than trying to shoehorn it in. And then, and then, it, was, and then it was great again. And then again, the editing process was brilliant. So I, I love doing that. But um, initially it was absolute hell. <laughs> had, you, had you written a synopsis for the first one? no i've written so that one i didn't write a synopsis for that other than a very very brief sort of overview i hadn't written a detailed one for my editor um and she asked me to, to do one so i did it and i just felt like and it, and it's nothing like that now it's nothing like the synopsis i gave her um it's much better hopefully but um yeah so i hadn't done that before and i, I think i would very much resist doing that again because it really did stump me for a good three months
1: no, because I know I was kind of my podcast was brought into this chat on on Twitter talking about the synopsis. So we'll come to that in just a sec. Uh, very quickly, Rebecca, you said that you're into working on your seventh uh, Hannah Robbins book now. Is that right?
4: Yes, that's the one I'm writing now.
1: So how are you finding picking up her story uh, continuously. You finish one book, you're back to picking up her story. How is it getting new ideas for her? Is it is it is it still as organic as it was?
4: Um yeah, I have a notes pad on my phone as everybody does. And there are ideas on there that just continually grow. Um but I do find that I need a break from writing the same series um continually. So uh, there's a couple of standalones um there's a start of a new series that's with my agent, um, at the minute. So I can't I can't work with one series continually. I do need a break from it. Um but I enjoy writing it still. Um I like going back, it's like putting on a comfy pair of slippers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh Neil, you're so Going Dark and Going Rogue were out in, in quite close to each other, weren't they?
3: Yeah, going uh, Going Dark came out in April last year, Going Rogue came out in November. Um, the third going back is hopefully fairly imminent. Um, you know, the publishers, once they get going, they'll, they'll do it pretty quick, but they've been fairly busy with some bits and bobs, but we, we, and, you know, obviously me stropping around with the development led, (laughs) um, but, but now we're past that and I've, you know, given them something they're happy to work with. Um, we should be fairly ready to go, but I mean, I say, I really wanted to explore writing something different. And I wanted to give it a very heavy Scottish feel, living where I do. Um, so, so I mean, I, I, for the first time in my life, I actually wrote uh, an outline for it, and it was, I say, an outline. It was a page, um, which I showed to a couple of people, who said, "You definitely have to write this." So I cracked on. It took me a while to get going, um, but I am writing fast now. So I'm, I'm really trying to get first draft done within the next sort of four weeks. Wow. Um, which it, which it would be my I, I think it's achievable as long as I you know get my head down I've got the ideas and I am almost plotting Ah, uh, despite what I've said in the past my I, I have post-it notes which I just write random things on and stick on the wall in front of me and then I tear them off when I've done it so yeah that's what I do <laughs> yeah and that's I'm actually quite liking it um it, it's sort of like a uh, just a mental map that sits on the wall in front of me so that's that's going great and we'll see where we go with Novak I'd like to write some more but uh I'm very much focused on um the the Max Craigie book at the moment how
2: does your how much does your both of you how much does your your first draft so when you write your literal first draft the first you know the very first thing how much do you change it before you send it to your editor or agent is it is it almost done or is it
3: I, I didn't change it nearly enough on the, on the last <laughs> last one. Hence the development led it. Um, I should have worked harder on that. And that's my fault. I, and, you know, I take full responsibility for that. What I should have done is done what I did after they sent back with all the issues. I, I did, I wrote it all up, changed everything. And then I sent it to my Kindle and I sat across a day and a half and I read it as if I was a reader with a notebook open mm-hmm. and then made detailed notes with what I felt needed to be fixed after that change. And um, I, that is something I will now do as, uh, as a routine. Because, you know, you sit, you think you can sit and read it on your laptop screen. You can't. It's a different experience. So, you know, if you're an old-fashioned, you know, if, if you want to print it out or or send it to a Kindle or an e-reader or something like that, I that is definitely the way I'm going to move now. Because you just see it with a completely fresh pair of eyes, I think.
2: Yeah. How about you, Rebecca? Because you're much more seasoned than than us. you sort of. How is? Do you feel that you you write yours well enough initially for there
4: not to be that many changes? Uh, no, it's a real mixed bag. Um, Eighteen months ago, I did Nano National Novel Writing Month. I wrote the first draft in November, and it was published in February, and that was kill cool for wow. me. Um And then the last book. I wrote, and it was just like eighty thousand words that needed to just be written in some kind of normal order because what I'd written (laughs) in the first draft didn't resemble a book at all. So it just (laughs) it just depends. There's no like um, average way of writing. It comes out however it comes out. Um, I can't really I can't really say that there's a an average way how it's going to work. Marilyn, talk about the, uh, the, uh,
1: the outline, the synopsis. But you were asking about this on Twitter. Um, so for your second uh, Carla Brown book and Nell Jackson book, you, um, you, you did crack on with the synopsis. How detailed was it? So you said it was a few pages long. Um, t- talk us through how close that would have been to a, to a first draft that you had you would, you would written and, and uh, how much were you packing it out?
2: Well, it was it was almost like a chapter breakdown. Really, it was really detailed. So it was it was what would happen. I'm a I'm a big one. I think it's the, the old analyst in me. I'm a big one for an Excel spreadsheet, and so I, I, it's almost like doing a detailed chapter breakdown on an Excel spreadsheet of what what's going to happen to the character, what plot things here, what 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 who's the suspect at this point, and um, so it was really detailed to the point where I felt like I had written it, even though so it was probably I don't know how many words it was, maybe ten thousand words which obviously isn't a book, but it felt like I'd written a book. Um, and so when, on Twitter, when I was asking, is that I, I don't want to do that. Been, I'm planning my next one now, um, which I'm hoping will be a standalone maybe. But um, And it, so it's just to know how, well, it's just hell. Is I just hate sort of having to write it before it's been written. I can write a synopsis after I've written it because I know what's happened. But before I've written it, I'm, I'm just sort of in the dark, really. So um yeah, so I'm hoping that, that this next one, that's what I was sort of getting advice on, is really is how to write one before
4: you've written the book. So
2: are you not a plotter, Marilyn? No, well I am no. I, well what I do is I tend to plot in three in chapters, three chapters. So I, I I'll know before I start one chapter what, what will happen over the next three. And that just seems to naturally come. I don't know why that is the way it is, but so I'll plot every three and I'll I'll know the ending and I'll and I'll know I sometimes I don't even know the killer <laughs> until I get to the end. So, I, but I'll know the end and I'll know the beginning, but the middle bit is very much, seat of my pants, really.
3: Yeah, I'm. <laughs> this is exactly how I like to work. I because the thing is, I I mean, now I've got this thing where I put some sticky bits. This is just thoughts that occur to me as I'm writing, and I think, oh, that could happen. I'll just stick that on there and come back to that. So it's just to give me yeah. somewhere visually to look and think. Right, okay, but essentially. I don't really know what's happening. And I have found that the best ideas I've had and the things that make me go, oh, man, I love that. I love that as a concept. And I make a little note of it. I don't think if I'd have made a detailed plan of what I was going to write, I don't think I'd have thought of it. And I I think I might find myself straightjacketed by, um, by a detailed synopsis and plan. I mean, I wrote I didn't know what to do with this Max Craigie novel. I didn't know how to approach it. I knew what the hook was. I knew roughly what I wanted it to be about, but I didn't quite know. And I got chatting to someone. I'm going to name drop here. It was Tony Parsons, who I have a bit of back and forth with occasionally around books. And he said, look, I'm going to send you the pitch I did for my book that's coming out next year. And it was one word. It was one page in almost bullet points. And it was just a flavor of the book. It was just this succinct pitch about what, who the protagonist was, what was the problem, how this was likely to be resolved. But it was the sort of thing that you would give to a, a publisher to pique I mean, it their interest. Now, Of course, he's Tony Parsons. He's going to get a gig because he keeps writing bestsellers. <laughs> but he said what it will do is it will crystallise in your mind and keep your mind on track of what you're writing. And I did that with this book. And I sent it to Tony and he said, yeah, absolutely, that's a book you should write. And I sent it to a few other people who said, yeah, that's a book to write. And I thought, well, great. Now I'm confident that this is worth writing. But beyond that, really, there's there's no detail. It's just a, the concept in in bullet points on one side of paper. So that is, I think, the way I might work from now on.
2: I think that's how I'm going to have to do it, because it just completely killed me having it, such a detailed synopsis. And and when it was only when I just completely let the book just do its own thing that I got it written so I think and I think it's true about the post-its I do that I have so many bits of paper everywhere just going check what um check that this happens or make what about this happening and, it, and they're just stuck everywhere so that I can just pull them together and then discard them when they're done
4: I think we seem to work
2: in a quite similar way Neil <laughs> a bit hectic. R- Rebecca how are you
1: um how much of a plotter are you?
4: The first book that I wrote Shallow Waters I pants the whole book um I had I knew the beginning and I knew the end and I didn't have a clue what happened in between. Um, But I just sat down and wrote. Um, But after that, I thought I'd give plotting a try and I've not looked back since. Um, I try and write as detailed synopsis stroke outline as I can. Sometimes they're more woolly than others. Um, And sometimes they're quite detailed, several pages long. Um, I don't go, some people write, Outlines are 50 pages long. I couldn't do anything like that. You're practically writing a novel then. Um, But no, I definitely like to see where I'm going. It helps me write quicker. And I don't think it um, stunts my writing. I don't think it stunts the creativity. Was it Neil that said that? Um, I think you still do have the freedom to go somewhere else. Um, It just gives you that roadmap of where you're heading. So you're not sat uh, sat sitting down at your desk every day, wondering where you're going to go.
1: Neil, uh, you mentioned uh, the the new series. Sorry, is this Max Craigie? Yeah, that's right. Max Craigie. So Max Craigie, you mentioned that you you wanted to write this because you wanted to bring it a little bit closer to home where you are now up in Scotland. Um, How was the process of coming up with the character and and the basis of the plot if you know that if you know right i'm gonna write my next book in my next series in scotland where do you begin in creating now uh, a character who is useful to you and also different from tom novak
3: i mean it all came from at christmas we we spent some time um with some friends in, in a house big house in scotland And there's a number of people from a a big extended family there, and we just jumped on board. Now, in amongst this family was this old guy, well in his 80s, who used to be a cop in Scotland back in the 60s. Now lives in New Zealand and has done for many, many years. And he was a real crime fan, real crime fiction fan. And he said, I'm telling you this story because this is exactly what prompted me to write this book. He said, I was... Years ago, we were doing some research for my wife's side of the family around sort of genealogy. And we went to this old graveyard in Caithness, which is the very far north of the country. Very, very wild. We went into this old tumble down graveyard. There's no church. It's just in the middle of nowhere. And we go to this. I see all these gravestones. And I managed to clear all the moss off this grave slab that's on the ground. Because the only thing that was written on it was this grave never to be opened. And I thought, oh, come on. Oh, come I thought on. whoa, now that is, that's a way to start a book, isn't it? That's a way to start a book. So I thought, right, well, how do I use that? And I then I, I thought, well, I, I don't want to write a traditional tart t- noir. I haven't got the writing chops for that. It's not, not me. And I'm not sure it's a particularly helpful term either. I still wanted to write a thriller. So how do I make it really crimey, really thrillery, less of a it type of thing? you know, I'm not going to try and write Rebus. I, I'm not clever enough. I'm not going to try and write, you know, Anne Cleves and Shetland. I, I'm just not that good a writer. But I thought I can write, a. what I want to do is write a page turner where that is where it starts. And I then introduced the whole gangland theme to it. And that it's a gang boss and someone gets killed there. And it develops on from there. So it all started from that one story from this old guy in a house at Christmas. And from then I just thought, right, well, OK, I need a detective. And I just Pluck the ideas out, out of you know, out of thin air. I, I, I also like to write what I know a little bit, so I give it a London angle that he's just come back to Scotland, having spent fifteen years in the Met, so I can I don't need to do too much research basically. <laughs> Sorry,
1: you say write what well, you know in the um, your Max being in the Met because you were in the Met, and I, th- I think I think all, all three of you have police connections. Is that right, Neil? You were in the Met, um, Marilyn. You were a, you were a crime analyst. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I was a crime analyst in the Met
1: and and rebecca you were a police detective
4: yes yes i was yeah
2: well i guess
1: i guess the last question is just a little bit of a chat about how how did how did being police working in the police force in some form how did that influence the way that you work um, rebecca
4: um i have to make i write police procedurals mostly and i have to make sure that i try not to make the books too boring because police work, real police work is really boring. It's exciting (laughs) for about five minutes and then there are about two weeks worth of paperwork to uh, write up the uh, five minutes of exciting. Um, So yeah, it's about trying to make the book um, realistic without actually making it realistic. What people would think is realistic. if You know what I mean? um so they authentic without it being realistic yeah i agree definitely i use um
2: i think um for me as an analyst um so we have this i2 tool that's like an analyst notebook and you plot your suspects and their associations and what crimes they've done and it's a visual interpretation of, of what's happening to health officers and that's how i plot i have to do it by hand, and i and i plot it in the way that I would have, have sort of detailed a crime that had happened or an association page that and and so that informs my work very much I think in the way that I I visualize it and how I actually approach it and then just dropping in little bits of of police knowledge without over over sort of like uh, sort of piling on all of the police procedural stuff just little bits of it here and there. Do you think
1: there's a uh that you say, right? Well, you know, Neil. Do you think there's some for because all three of you now crime writers of some form after having been in the police force of some in some form is is there is there a willingness? Do you think of of p- p- policemen to kind of to, to, to dramatize their job enough so they can write about it? Is that why quite a few do become writers because they they want to live up to this ideal of running around and catching the bad guys all the time?
3: Yeah, I mean, we. I'm very much. You know, this is fiction. I mean, this isn't real life. It's it's nothing like the real job. As Rebecca said, you know, we'd bore you'd bore your readers to tears if you if you told it as it actually is. But I what I find is, mean, my background, my books are very much about proactive um policing, because that was my background in terms of, you know, surveillance, covert work, undercover work, um big drugs jobs, all that sort of stuff. It
4: makes it sound so exciting, but that was really dull as well, Neil, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah it, well
3: honestly, of course it was most proactive work involves you know putting in covert video feeds and watching and you know watching doors that don't open um <laughs> sitting but, in the
2: back of a van, my husband's one and he just sits in the back of the van for eight hours yeah
3: absolutely but uh, i th- I think what you can do is because you've got this you know I've got all this knowledge and all this experience i can I can write what I just hope is an exciting story, but then what I can do is drop in little nuggets of of realism. Um, which then, you know, the reader will read that and think, well, yeah, yeah. that's definitely real. Yeah. And it gives you the kudos and the cachet yeah. that you know what you're talking about. But you can't write too much because yeah. you'll just annoy people. Someone, The best yeah. analogy i heard of this is that writing crime fiction is, um, in terms of research, it's like an iceberg. You might need to do a fair bit of research, but you only show the very tip of that. So you only show the little tip around, so you put in a little, a tiny bit of a surveillance technique, just a little snippet of it. And then the reader reads that and think, oh wow, they know all about this. Or, you know, something about fraud investigation or or whatever. Just these little words that then almost tricks your reader that they're well, this is definitely authentic. But you can't write it all down, otherwise you'll just bore people to tears. Or or you'll sound just very self-congratulatory and be really chuffed with yourself about how much you know. And that's just <laughs> annoying. Yes, that's and, true.
1: And that is it for the very first Writer's Routine Roundtable. Massive thank you to Neil, to Marilyn and to Rebecca for coming on. Uh, You can find links to all of their stuff and all of their books over at writersroutine.com. Really am hoping to do more of these things. Just need to work the logistics of of getting writers who are busy at the moment, even though maybe, uh, as Marilyn said earlier on, they are having trouble getting creative in lockdown. They are busy. um, So it's just kind of getting them in the right place at the right time. And I'm wondering if I should do themes. We had a crime thing themed one today. Maybe I should do a, um, a rom-com themed one, uh, a, a thriller themed one, a fantasy themed one. Just bear with me. I'm trying things out while, while we're in lockdown. Um, we'll be back Friday, by the way, with Chris Whitaker talking about his brand new American noir novel, We Begin at the End. In the meantime, if you could support us over at Patreon, if you could follow us over on Twitter, it's at Writer's Pod, and if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. I will see you Friday with Chris Whitaker on Writer's Routine. Bye!
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods